Welcome to Ana Conversations with Myanmar. If you'd like to add your voice to the conversation here at Ana, please reach out to us through any of our social media platforms or you can email us directly. This conversation features Hang Zar Ong, President of the Industrial Workers Federation of Myanmar and Treasurer of the Confederation of Trade Unions Myanmar. Ma Hong Zara grew up in Yangon, Myanmar. She began working at the age of 16 in a garment factory, making clothing for big international labels. She joined the political movement against a previous military dictatorship led by the then Federation of Trade Unions of Burma while in exile in 2007. After she was able to return to Myanmar in 2012, she became a key force in helping to grow the free and democratic union movement. She is now in exile in Germany. An arrest warrant hangs over her, and her passport has been declared void. But her fight for democracy and workers' rights endures despite continued risks to her life. Here she talks about the campaign to get international companies to stop doing business in Myanmar, voices her pleas to the European Union to implement comprehensive economic sanctions to stop the flow of cash into the regime's hands, and speaks of her determination to continue to fight for better conditions for all workers in Myanmar. Let's start the conversation. Hangzar Ang, thank you for joining us today on Anna Podcast. And we're really excited to talk to you and, and get your insights into the, the situation in Myanmar, especially for um, the garment industry. Uh, if you wouldn't mind just introducing yourself and telling us a, a little bit about who you are so our listeners can get a sense of you. Uh, I am Hangzar Ang. I am the president of Industrial Waga Federation of Myanmar. And also, I am one of the executive committee members of Confederation of Trade Unions, Myanmar. Before I joined Union, I was a garment worker. And I started in a garment factory at my age, 16 years old in Myanmar. And um, our working condition was very bad. And I leave home at 6 a.m. to get ferry. And uh, I started working at the 7.30, and I finished my work at 10 p.m. Then when I got back home, 11.30 already. So I have to work seven days a week, no day off. We have a one day off in the month, but many times the supervisor told us we have to work on that day because the order have to be shipped. So that's why we did not really have a day off. And um, salary is uh, around ten ten dollar ten dollar per month, including over hundred overtime hours. So we pay for the. I remember the social security fee was deducted monthly, but we did not have the social security benefit. We don't have pay leave, and uh, even though without pay, it is not easy to get. The, the leave. So that is the situation I work in the garment factory. So I witness a lot of harassment on the physical harassment or sexual harassment at the workplace. And uh, there are a lot of child labor. I thought I was so very young. I started working at 16, but the helper who worked with me was 12 years old. She told me she wanted to go to school. I was so sad. Until now, I, I remember her. 
But that is how I work. But I finished my university education while I am working in the garment factory. Because I started uh, the garment factory after high school. Hmm? So, but then I have a chance to go to distant university education. It is very rare at the time. My friend also wanted to go for distant university education. But uh, you know what happened when we asked for the leave? She requests for leave first. And um, we went to take one day off to study, to go to Jushin. And she was asked, will you like to work or will you like to study? And um, I see this duration and I was thinking, if I am asked like that, I will quit. My family is not rich. We are poor. But I don't like this kind of treatment. I feel very embarrassed. But uh, when I ask for leave, one day off, one day leave in a week, the supervisor gave me a chance because I'm hardworking at a factory. Whenever I, I finish my job, I'm always helping others. So they don't want to lose me. So that is the point. But I, I feel all the workers should have equal right for the education. But uh, I could go to distant university education, but my friend could not. And um, I finished my degree in economic. And then I don't feel in the garment industry. I want to change my career. So I want to go for the Weiwei sector. I became a staff of the Weiwei Transportation Committee. This is not government owned. It is a subcontract to the retired people. I don't remember the exact name, but it is run by privately, but the be as a government employee. And then I find out the salary for the government employees is like $4 per month. I was thinking $10 per month is not enough for one worker. How a worker can survive with $4 per month. And I see there are a lot of corruption. All these stuff have to violate the regulation of the, the way way government is. They have to pay the bribe to the senior supervisor and senior supervisor pay bribe to the manager. So that is how the system was, I found. I was so, so sad about my teenager life. Another thing, what I found when I was young at the workplace, male worker was called very badly in front of many staff who are women by a manager. So the manager, at that time, I communicated with him to pay money for their name gap, something like that. So he said he doesn't have a money. He have to go with the train. Then he will come back. Then he will pay me. Then the manager came out. And uh, hear him and they're saying, what, you don't have money now. You will pay back when you come back from work. What does it mean? I know you are stolen or doing corrections or something like that. The manager is calling him very badly. And uh, his face, he was so embarrassed in front of many women. I was thinking, why, why the manager can do it? Because they pay only $4 per month. How the worker can survive if they don't do this? And the manager know what they are doing because they are getting bright. I think very sorry for him and I'm thinking what happened in our environment. 
That man, he lost respect himself and others. How he can treat to his family? He will not treat in good way to his family, to his daughter and son or parent. And I hear many fighting between families because they are so poor. They always struggle for living. They don't have time to spend together as a family. They cannot send their children to school. And our environment's community is destroyed. Children are very rude. Many people don't have a place to stay. They are starving. They have to work until 18, 19. Very bad. So that was my working experience. And I learned what happened in our community. I did not know who was ruling the country. I don't know about politics. I did not know. I was always thinking, why we have to work so long, many hours? Why we have to be treated like that? It's not fair. But I don't know what to do. And then I went to Mezal, Taimbama border, to find the better opportunity for me to improve myself. So I went to Mezal in the um, working condition. was very different in the first factory I worked in Mezal. It is a small factory, only 20 or 30 people working. I did not need to work overtime because I am skilled workers. I finish very quickly. So I work eight to five and I earn about 180 US dollar. And um, the food cost is more or less the same compared to Myanmar and Thailand. And the quality of food is better than Myanmar. I was thinking, why? Why is this different so much? I just across the border, the river. I did not have a document. I am an undocumented worker. I was. So I was, why, why like this? And then I found a, a new friend and I discovered with her how I feel in Myanmar. I explained, I'm very sad. I don't know what to do, what to change this situation. She has a 10-year experience working in Mezal. So she knows the, the organization in Mezal, including FTUB, Patrician Not Trade Unions in Myanmar which is the former name of my organization, CDUM. So she told me what you are talking about is more or less the same. The organizer from the organization is talking. So she suggests me to go to a trainee conducted by the FDUB. So next Sunday, we went to FDUB training. And in that trainee, the organizer explained why people are so poor. And uh, he explained Myanmar is under military dictatorship, military government. Military, when people struggle, always struggle with their living, so that people cannot think to fight back the military uh, rule or fight for the democracy. And also, whoever people think they went against the government, the government managed everyone violate the laws and regulation every day. So the military can arrest easily those who are against them. In fact, it is reasonable. It is reasonable. So I was thinking he knows what happened in Myanmar. So he might know how to make change. I want to make change. So I told him I want to stay in their community center because I was thinking I will go back to Myanmar. So I don't care about money, even I earn 180. I don't want to work in the government sector. 
got my factory longer. I want to improve myself. But I want to learn something, how I can make change, what I can do to make change when I go back to Myanmar. So I wanted to stay with them in land. I did not know about the organization or how we have to work. I thought I can do myself alone to make change. So it was so funny. But that was how I started thinking to learn about how to make change. Since that time, it was 2007, early of 2007, I continue working until now. So now in the trade union movement, I'm over 15 years working full time. And I'm curious, it's great to to hear your, your full story. I'm interested in whether when you had that period of time where Myanmar moved from military rule to, you know, this attempt at democracy with Aung San Suu Kyi as state councillor, did things improve for garment workers? Like, was there an improvement or has the problem always been there with only some small improvements in this time? There are good things because when we have a semi-democratic government, I have to say semi-democratic government, we trade unions, we workers have to fight for our right because laws are weak. We have a labor laws for the worker rights. We have a labor organization law. We have labor dispute settlement law. But labor dispute settlement law doesn't work, doesn't work because of its nature. They categorize the cases dispute like individual in collective dispute. How they define the cases is in a factory, there is no union. If we have a dispute, it is in category of individual dispute. Even 200 workers dismiss. It becomes dispute. It is individual case. So what happened in Myanmar at the time when we have a case, we formed a union to protect worker rights, to have a worker representative to negotiate for the worker rights at the factory. We have to form a union. Then the union leader, the organizer, we are dismissed. In all the cases, we face a union bastion very badly. At the time, we went on strike to protect ourselves because labor dispute settlement law doesn't work. And because of our fight, the leader, and I think 2014, at that time, the government, they allow the cases dispute to go to arbitration council, arbitration body. So according to the law, we have individual cases and collective cases. The individual cases are not allowed to go to arbitration body, arbitration council. So all the cases are entitled under the individual cases. So we can go to township consolidation body, but this body doesn't have a mandate to decide. So we never got the agreement at the township consolidation body for the reinstatement. And then we cannot go to arbitration body. So that's why a lot of strike happened. But in 2014, because of unrest in the industry sector, the government allowed the cases to go to arbitration body. So very beginning, we won. Many cases we won at the arbitration body, arbitration council. But later, the embryo complained. And then we lost in many cases, even though Waga should be reinstated or should win. And um, 
because of the embryo pressure in 2016, after NLD take over the power, the Ministry of Labor announced they were practiced the law in 2016, 2018 it was. So what happened? We faced a union passing again very badly. A lot of cases happened in 2018 and uh, union leaders were dismissed without paying compensation. So we, that's why in 2018, we have to bring the case of the violation of Freedom Association of Myanmar to the INO. So we discussed about the violation of FOA of Myanmar at the INO conference in June 2018. I was the workers' spokesperson. So you see how the workers have to fight under the, the semi-democratic government. But uh, what is good? Since we have a semi-democracy, we can organize, we can have activities, we can express. So that is good, which is very different now we are, where we are. Now the trade unions are under oppression. No trade union can survive. No workers can raise their voice at the workplace for the right because of the military, military dictatorship, military coup. Military coup is also embryo coup. Because Ambrania support the military and they provide the trade unions, leaders, member uh, lists together with their addresses and photo. And then uh, since uh, last year, March, the military soldiers, they have been handing to our members, trade unionists, and all of our organizers, negotiators, educators, leaders has a restaurant and they are in hiding now. Some got arrested, some got killed. But they're from my IWF and no one is killed, but uh, some are arrested now. Were you still in the country when the coup happened in February 2021? Were you in Myanmar at the time? No, I was in Germany four months before the coup because my organization wanted me to study a master program uh, with the Global Labour University. So that's why I was in Germany when the coup happened. But I stopped studying same the coup happened because I need to work. So I did not get any certificate from the Global <laughs> University. Because yeah. I'm traveling a lot as many governments and organizations to support comprehensive economic sanction. Because before we call comprehensive economic sanction, the, the idea started from CTUM and INUFM. And uh, we discussed this idea in Myanmar Liberal Alliance uh, last year. And uh, we, Myanmar Liberal Alliance, agree on this position, Comprehensive Economic Sanction and Withdrawal or EBA, because we believe we need it. We need to cut the financial flow of the military to support the resistance inside. This one of the key elements we need in the revolution to defeat the military. So then uh, we met several organizations, democratic organizations inside Myanmar. So we met with the student union, teacher unions, and uh, strike committees across the country and uh, had set up group. So in October uh, 2021, 183 organizations, including Myanmar Liberal Alliance, has a joint statement calling for comprehensive economic sanction. 
ask you about the sanctions because like we we know there's two kind of types of sanctions there's like targeted sanctions and then there's like this kind of blanket sanctions where people are calling for comprehensive sanctions on all kind of industries and one of i guess the main arguments people have is like targeted sanctions target the military they target top generals people feel they're a little weak and others argue like these comprehensive sanctions actually hurt the people more than the military The military, for example, they say, you know, in the garment sector, the military owned very few factories, only maybe a small few are on military land. And they argued that it's actually not going to have that big an impact on the military. But it sounds like you guys and 183 organizations that you represent don't agree with that and feel like comprehensive sanctions are important in order to take down the military. Would that be correct? We use a comprehensive economic sanction. So that's why when we meet with other group, democratic organization like uh, the Hatsada, the Nazas and Dauda, Joyce Disobedient Movement, they are actively now participating in the movement. So last year we meet with them. So they have a concern. We cannot do the expo and both the medicine, and there will be problem for the people. They have this kind of uh, concern. But uh, when we go for comprehensive economic sanction, this kind we can overcome this issue. But another issue come the migrant workers, how they can send money to the country. We were saying that also not included in the economic sanction because there is a remittance they can do. Like now we see yesterday, FADF has a decision that to put Myanmar in the blacklist. So you will see, we're really happy to see uh, the sentence. It shows the money flow for the humanitarian aid and uh, legitimacy and non-profit organization and remainders are not be disrupted. So that is uh, good. But uh, we also have a concern regarding with this issue because uh, humanitarian aid going through the, the military system people are not getting this aid. So we, democratic organization, want the humanitarian aid come through from the democratic group, from another channel. Yeah, so just to kind of recap, just for listeners there, like, so the Financial Action Task Force, FATF, as you mentioned yesterday, they're the global money laundering terrorist financial watchdog, and they've added Myanmar alongside North Korea and Iran, which is incredible company to be keeping, onto this blacklist, which people are concerned it's going to affect everybody in the country. It's going to affect businesses that are not operating with the military, that have no affiliation with the military. It's going to affect people abroad trying to send money back to their families and people in country sending money out of the country. Do you see that? Is there any reassurances? Have you had talks with FATF? Is there any, I guess, reassurance from them that it's not going to impact everybody? It's not going to impact humanitarian financing? Or is this is this likely to affect everybody? Because you were supportive of this, them being added to the list. Is that right? Yeah. You're supportive. So, yeah. But are you worried about the consequences outside of the military for everybody? For the remittance, for the migrant issue, people are worrying. The, the migrant workers have to send the money to home. They can stay. So many people don't really understand what is this sanction about. The remittance, for example, migrant workers, they want to send money. They have to show their salary, basically, from their umbrella. 
And because the bank where ask them, where is the money come from? And where will the money go? So they will be asked. So that person have to show this is my salary, this is a basically, this is my employment contract, then um, where they were sent to their family. So they have to show information, then uh, the information is correct. The money will be allowed to send to the country. So unless you are, you know, involved in the trafficking industry or you are involved in narcotics or something illegal, as long as you can show that you have employment abroad, that the money is earned legitimately, you should be able to send money back into the country. Is that is that the point? Yeah, they can. They can be passed to send the money inside. And I guess then the other worry is what about people who are working illegally, you know, who have fled to maybe the border areas and were sending money, but they were never using bank yeah, money. Yeah, assume. that do we know. There are many migrant workers illegally sending money, which is a Hundi system that I use when I was uh, a migrant worker in Thailand. This decision will not be impact on the illegal migrant workers who are sending back to the country because they already use illegal channel Hundi system to send back their money to home. Yeah, that makes sense. They're not using the banks officially, I can't imagine. No. Uh, we had a lot of discussion, you know, within 183. Within 183, Myanmar Labour Alliance is the only one organization. So we talk like uh, two months with them, two, three meetings a day, different groups, different group has different concerns, you know. So we have to answer. And uh, so that's why I... I can give a solution sometime because from this discussion, yeah. And and I'm wondering then, so if for businesses then, let's say like, you know, European businesses operating in Myanmar, maybe like like when I worked there, I worked for an international school. How would those kind of organizations, are they likely to be affected by this? Is it likely they're going to have to answer tougher questions from their banks? about their money and where it's going because that's who I seem to see like people who keep saying this to me who are not supportive of this and thinks it's going to hurt the people are people who themselves have businesses you know or are very highly educated and have people outside the country inside the country so how would it impact them if they're illegal and they're operating legally it shouldn't or do you think some countries might just decide well, we're just going to stay away from accepting money coming from Myanmar just to be on the safe side because it's too much paperwork to maybe follow the money. If you don't do the legal way, you will have a problem to use the official system. That is how all the trafficking issues in the, the cronies doing business, being advised at Texas or they make other illegal money and uh, they laundry the money. So we should have a good system in Myanmar. So now many people talking about people suffering. Millions of people in Myanmar already suffer. Migrant workers, they don't have a right to think how much money they want to send to the family because the military is giving instruction. The certain amount of percentage the migrant workers have to send back home. And they are saying within one day, all the businesses have to change their dollar into jet with the certain amount of rate, 
which is they exploit from all the money coming from abroad. You know, my wife, one dollar, they are buying 2,100 jet. But in the market, more than three dollar or three thousand or four thousand for one dollar. Today, six thousand in some yes. parts of Myanmar. Yes, Crazy. today is happening. But before, even before, we have this system. The military exploit them from everyone. That's why many people doesn't want to use the official system to send their money back home. Is, is it likely to impact the NUG also? Because I assume they receive a lot of their finances from people donating and people donating to resistance groups. But again, I can't help thinking it's unlikely people are using official channels to do that as well. We also get in some support system. We have to show, we have to show how we get the money. We will get the money to our donor. Of course, our donor, our trade union brother and sister. That is a solidarity fair. The governments from abroad did not support democratic organization. And uh, we receive money from the trade unions. We have to show them which way we have to get the money and stand money inside. So as long as you have the paperwork, your money is legitimate, you're not avoiding taxes. We have to be transparent to our donor. The, the NUG cannot say, oh, we have a money coming from here and there, we cannot use. No, you have to, you, you don't need to say the public. I will ask that NUG, do they really use the official way by using the banks from Myanmar? How they can do that? All the money come to the banks where asked by the military, where is the money coming from? Where the money will go? This is what the military is doing. Even the wave money, you know, to have a wave account, if we have a phone number, people can get the wave account. Now we cannot do that. The people who want the wave account, they have to show the ID card, their photo, and they have to have a, only one account. And uh, when they send the money, they have to show their ID card. The shopkeeper are instructed to take photo of the person. And then the people who will accept the money, they have to show their ID card. So if they see if the money is a big amount, the military can ask them, this uh, people who got money from the wave system, why you are getting big money. So if the NUG is using the million of dollars, how they send the big amount inside country? Yeah, I take your point. It's very unlikely that anybody sending large amounts of money is using legitimate channels because the military would be able to track that through the banks very quickly anyway, and they're likely to prevent that from reaching the ground. So I'm curious because actually you have me thinking when you said, you know, about people like there's probably companies who are operating in Myanmar. And I mean, I'm going to be very careful what I say here because (laughs) I know there are some who avoid taxes. Even though maybe they don't support the military, they don't help the military, they take shortcuts and they don't pay the full taxes. And maybe they maybe they think it's not illegal. But in this new system, they would be found out very quickly if they were operating in that way. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. So this might be why some people are very concerned about this, because maybe they're not operating fully above board to begin with. 
in this the military dictatorship, business are easy to avoid paying tax. You know why? They have to pay the money under the table. They have to pay. Uh, and then I told you when we meet the last time, and uh, the military, the regional government, they gave an instruction to the Bago Industry Zone Committee asking $1,000 from each factory saying they were buying the necessary facilities for the security issue. Then uh, the Zongomadi sent letter to individual factory to pay $1,000 by that date for this reason. So no factory can say they don't want to pay. So that is only when we receive the official letter from the military to the factory. There are many ways they are asking the factory to pay, company to pay. I'm not talking about only government factory. Even in the cities, the motorcycle repair or other shops, they are asked to pay some amount of money to the authority in that area without reason. So... I wrote in UG letter. We got it. We got it. I, I, I don't know you got this letter or not from NUG. So the NUG letter to the Labour Alliance organization? No, to the government, some governments who are key at the FADF. And they didn't want this? Yeah, the why you discussed are included in the NUG letter. Interesting. So again, I guess... I mean, I'm trying to look at it from all sides because I just keep hearing people say it's going to affect the people on the ground, but nobody's telling me how. I cannot see how. Most people don't even have bank accounts and they're working in cash. You know, they're using wave pay to to move money around. You know, most people don't have bank accounts. When I lived in Myanmar, I was getting paid in cash for a large part of the time I lived there. I didn't even have a bank account, you know, and I was working for an international school you know not like not a Myanmar government school so I'm just trying to understand it but obviously the NUG I mean there's two ways they could be worried because it might be very hard to undo this once it's done so if the military in a year's time are no longer in control of the country it might still be very very hard to undo this decision maybe as one consideration or perhaps many of them are are business people who still have business interests in the country, or do you think it's likely to be the issue? If they are doing illegal, if they are former banking system, there will be issue. Yeah, I, I can't see how you could be in the NUG and using a bank in Myanmar. I don't, I don't think. I it's- don't, I don't believe that. You know, CTUM, we receiving money from the trade union, Solidarity Fund. We are sending money inside in our way. And the 183 organizations who are still actively working inside, they also receiving some kind of funding in their own network. They agree to this policy. That means they can advise, they can manage the money flow to them and send to where we need to send, you know. We all are working for the democracy, not only NUG. No, I agree. And, and again, I imagine... NUG are maybe heavily reliant on many business entities or or wealthy people supporting their revolution within the country. And perhaps those people are putting pressure on NUG 
for something not to come in. It's likely, you know, I, I mean, I'm speculating, but I'm just trying to understand. I mean, you and the 183 organizations that have discussed this at length, you feel that this is a good move. So let's think Myanmar is on this FATF list now, this blacklist. So what does that mean then? Does this mean it's putting a lot more pressure on the military because people who maybe were still managing to make profits and do well in this time are now going to face a little bit more difficulties and are likely to stop supporting the military? Do you think this will help bring the military down? What are the positives you see coming from this? The For the businesses, it is difficult for them. I mean, the international, international businesses. They will see the difficulty. So they might decide to stop investing in Myanmar. That we are asking for before FADF. Because we see they are supporting the military financially and uh, giving legitimacy. So the politically also they are supporting. So if they the international government leave, leave from Myanmar, that's good. And then the, as a consequence, if they, for example, the company from Europe leave, EU doesn't have a, the economic interest in Myanmar. They were more support to democratic movement. Now EU doesn't support to the democratic movement. And that, that, that takes me nicely to, to what I did want to ask you, because, you know, you have been asking for a long time for, you know, European companies, international companies to leave the country, to stop supporting the military to function and run by giving them money. But it's become a, a contentious debate amongst particularly the EU ambassador between certain I mean, there's almost like a Twitter harassment campaign against you at times, which which many people have pointed out. And, and we, we've spoken to other people about this. They seem to say that these companies pay very, very little to the military and the money that they get for the workers and the number of people they employ far outweighs any benefit to the military. Would you agree with that, that, that these companies are adding value by giving work to people? Then if the military gets some small tax from them, it's not going to make a big deal. I mean, that seems to be their argument. I'm not clear because they don't really make arguments. They just seem to attack the other position. But that's what I seem to see them saying. So what, what would you say to that? What is the income from ASPO, from the manufacturing sector, which is especially from the government, the design government? So now I forget the number. From that amount, let's say $1 billion income, the EU is arguing only 2%, right? 2% of the money go to the government as a tax. Not big amount, they are saying. But in this current situation, the military printing out the Myanmar jet to buy all the dollar come to Myanmar. So all the money all the dollar come to Myanmar is a big amount for the military because they are only paying a chain with the paper, printed paper as a Myanmar jet. That's a one point. So you're saying that this 2% that the EU claim is all the military gets from the, the garment industry. That is officially. Okay. That is really officially, they got a very small amount. What is happening now? All these million dollars come to Myanmar, have to do the HA, right? HA into jet within one day. So explain that to me. How we can get the money? The money have to come to Myanmar, right? 
Yeah. Okay. So 500 businesses receive this money in their account, right? Then they have to change this money, this dollar or the dollar within one day with the military, with the certain amount of money, which is for $1,2,100 yet. But in the market, let's say $1,3,000 yet. How much the difference for $1 is go to the military, right? Another way, when you see where the Myanmar military receive Myanmar yet to exchange this or the dollar, they are printing out the money. Myanmar is useless for the military. And they, they exchange this Myanmar for the odd dollar. This odd dollar go to their pockets. That is not official way. Yeah, I understand what, what you mean. I'm wondering then, so the 2% that the EU claim is all that comes, is that 2% of profits or, or export? Because I must read again, I understood that the 2% was tax. In their statement, they clearly say what it is for. And also, they don't calculate the taxes they are paying, like electricity bill, the rent costs, and the water bill, the income tax of the workers. They are saying workers are getting very low salary. That's why workers need to pay. Yes, some ordinary workers don't pay, but they are foreign workers and admin pay to the military as an income tax. And they pay for social security, which is workers did not get back anything from the social security. When workers have to pay at least more than 3,000 jet men, it is depend on the salary they receive. So some workers pay more than 5,000 to the social security system, but they did not get anything back. So, I mean, when they say that this 2% is not going to make or break the military, you say this 2% is actually all we know about officially. And even there is likely to be more than that under the table and through other means. But this 2%, 2% of a billion is a lot of money. 2% of a million is still a lot of money. And the point I think you're making is they can use this to fuel their jets to drop bombs on civilian villages. They're using this money to continue to kill people, basically. And even if it's 2%, 1%, 0.5%, European countries should not be doing anything that's giving them money that can kill people. Is that what your position is? Yes. And I am also saying it is not only that amount. In the supply chain, you will see EDI report. It is good. They say from the transportation, also for the rent costs, in the supply chain, the businesses are contributing to the military. Yeah. When they say that, you know, without them, so many people will be out of work. They will be forced into even more poverty and worse conditions without them. And they say all the, the garment workers will be forced into prostitution. This is their favorite argument that they love to make, as if there's no other jobs women can end up in. What, what do you say to that, that argument that they make? I will say the reason they are giving women workers will become prostitutes if they lose from the garment sector. I want to say they are very low standard, you know. The prostitution doesn't cause because of the losing job from the government sector. It is because of poverty. Many women 
became grossly now, even from the high glass, even from the middle glass, because now many SME colleagues, even they are the teacher, there are some story. Why I say some story? Because I can read some. There could be many stories we don't know. They are using this reason because they want to maintain this standard. It is very unreasonable. They are very low standard. I want to say that. I mean, I know in the Eurocham, you know, they brought out a fact sheet, their kind of 2022 fact sheet. And in it, they talk about, you know, the industrial zones and say there's only, you know, based on some UK fact finding, there was two factories on military land. And and they said they were the only ones that were, you know, leasing land to the military you know, they seem to be trying to to sell this narrative that they're not giving a lot of money to the military and people are confusing the huge export value. It's not a percentage of that that goes to the military. It, it seems to be what they're saying, from what I understand. But your research and your knowledge seems to suggest that that isn't true. No. Can the EU and the brands prevent their factory not to pay the military when they ask for when they ask to pay money, can EU say they can say the factory don't pay, the factory will not pay. They can say that? No, they cannot say that. Brand cannot do that. And I think that's the point, uh, Ruth, I know you, you make regularly about the brands is that they they can't know what's happening on the ground. So when they are selling their products to us, who are the consumers who are buying these products in Western countries, They're telling us they're ethical, they're sustainable businesses, they fair wages, all of these things. And they're selling us a lie if they're sourcing from Myanmar because they cannot know. There is no way for them to know and protect their workers on the ground, which you have pointed out numerous times. Is that fair to say? They are lying. I want to say they are pretending. They don't know what is happening. They are lying. They are productive workers. I have many cases. I can say hundred or story, you know, but we have to work on the principle. If you really need the story, I can share all this story. But uh, they have to answer about it. No? Can they really know what is happening in their factory? In which way? They will say we have an audit. We have a staff in Myanmar. Is this enough? If they think it is enough, why we have a cases Walker did not get paid in their factories? I think something I'm guilty of as a consumer is I kind of naively thought that if you buy a Primark product or a Zara product or whoever, an H&M product, that even though it says it's made in Myanmar, it's made in China, that they have a factory that supplies solely them. So therefore, when I'm reading that ethical tag, I take trust in the fact that they've gone in and that's their factory that they're installing their uh, applying ethical standards to and I was very naive in thinking that I didn't realize that these factories supply multiple mass brands so you've got one factory with its appalling conditions and some of the brands that are marketing it say that it's ethical whereas some of the others don't even like have the ethical department within them And it's still the actual humans behind producing the the garment. And I was very naive in thinking that. And I think it's something that as a consumer, you don't look into what is going on behind it. 
because you see, oh, this is an ethical brand. And they seem to be able to get away with that because it's not solely their factory. It's not a whatever brand factory. It's a factory that supplies multiple different brands. So I guess like Zara don't own a factory in Myanmar that we can say that's a Zara factory and the way they're treating their workers is appalling. Zara source from an independent factory who make their clothes. They have a contract with. So that kind of gets them away with accountability in some ways. They're hiding behind that a little bit. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, I don't even think Zara has an ethical department, does it? I wrote to them and they were like, sorry, we just don't even have this department. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Doesn't surprise me. And they're the ones that are still staying uh, at the moment. Even they say that mm, we don't own any factory. We have a supplier. We bought the supply from a supplier. We don't have any factory in Myanmar. But how about supply chain? You bought from that company, but this company producing in Myanmar is riding workers. So Zara, they cannot say our brother is clean. Yeah, I agree. But it seems to be like a hole for them in many ways because there is no factory they own. It's very hard to trace or can you trace it directly to their supplier? Like, are you constantly informing brands of these horrific conditions that the workers are facing in Myanmar? Like if they didn't know about it through their own due diligence, which they don't seem to be doing, they know it through you guys telling them. And do they act on that information that you give them? Has there been any suggestion that they are taking steps to keep workers safe? Let's see how we have add this new resolution mechanism and stop this mechanism because we cannot settle the cases. Yes, we can get the agreement somehow, but we cannot implement the agreement on ground because the embryo always manipulate the agreement. We trade union cannot operate inside of the country in the at the factory. There is no freedom association. The retaliation on the trade union leaders or workers who send a complaint to us are very intense. It is serious, serious issue. It's a the risk of the worker life, the trade union life. So we don't have a trade union anymore in the factory. So when we implement the agreement, then always has a problem. And uh, I have some complaint every day in the process of the implementation of the agreement. Do you see how much is this risky for my life and my team? And the workers on the ground also, they do not dare to give their name to me. For example, we agree the workers who are not getting paid for the overtime. They should get paid, right? And when I send the complaint, the brand say there is no such cases in that factory because the embryo say that. But I say, no, there is a case. They have to pay. And uh, ask me to get the list of the worker who did not get paid. How can I get the hundred of the worker's name? I mean, the risks, if you were to give those names to them, I mean. Yes. The two issue, how I can get the handout of worker who did not get paid because we don't have a union. We cannot, we cannot do the transparently. Okay. I can get the, the few names who we have a connection at the factory. Those worker will not give their name to me. So the brand say, if I don't give the name, they cannot do anything. Then in each process, what happened? I said, so we have to close the case without getting any result. 
but they did not want to do it. So that uh, I propose you announce at the factory, workers who did not get paid for overtime come and complain, fill in this form. So the workers will come and ask for the money. I assume. But I got the information, only one person who sent me the case, he got the reimbursement. Others, including his friends, doesn't want to do it. Did not dare to do it. So that's why I have to I have to stop this uh, mechanism. So after that, sometimes I see very serious case I send to the brand and they ask me the detail, then uh, they did not come back. So suddenly the dispute is not possible in this situation. In, in Myanmar, we don't have rule of law. How can the brand make sure they are protecting the workers, right, in Myanmar? Like, I'm trying to understand then, because, like, we have people who have influential positions of power, these stakeholders like the EU ambassador, Ranieri Sabatucci, who seems to have a, a kind of, I don't know how to describe it, but his behavior publicly on platforms like Twitter are really questionable for somebody in his position. Uh, you know, kind of trolling you guys and anyone who speaks out about the situation on the ground. Do you have meetings with people like him? Like, are you guys talking behind the scenes? Because it seems ridiculous to me that the EU ambassador is getting into Twitter spats, liking troll accounts. There's there's even a lot of evidence to suggest he's behind a number of troll accounts. I've seen quite good evidence in support of that. Like, it seems crazy. Why does he care so much? Am I to believe this man cares for 200,000 garment workers in Myanmar and he thinks their meager salary, their horrible human rights conditions are better than if they didn't have them? Or are the EU set to stand to lose significantly if the garment industry and all international business step out of the country? I would be interested to get your understanding of that situation. My understanding on EU is... EU doesn't want to lose the market. That is the main point. And I mean, Myanmar is the cheapest market to have garment workers in the whole world, like cheaper than Bangladesh, cheaper than Cambodia. So it is a lucrative market, not for the garment workers, not for the people of Myanmar, but for those who are getting those billion dollar profits, those brands. And I assume the EU is getting a chunk of that in some way. Like, so... Why would he not want to lose it? Because do the EU stand to lose significantly financially? Have they just invested so much in this that they're unable to admit that this is a dead end and we need to stop and they're just like pushing ahead? Uh, I'd be interested in your opinion on that. You know, sometimes in the bureaucracy, uh, implementation of the policy, policy is good, but uh, we cannot implement according to policy because of people who are implementing. Because sometimes people are influenced by someone, some group. And then in the EU case, and then in EU commission, EU governments, the businesses are influenced. Because I feel when I when I meet with the EU commission, I feel they know the standard. This the 15 ILO in the UN Go Convention, which is the fundamental principle to give uh, the EBA to lead the Brahmin country. Myanmar is violating all these 15 ILO and UN conventions. 
But by EU, government doesn't do it. They are saying the EU brands left. The other brands from the China and Asia will come. Is this their concern? If so, they don't want to lose market. Yeah, I mean, that's a fair point. You know, I, I see many people say about Total, you know, in the oil and gas industry, you know, and EU sanctions. And they say, oh, well, you know, now they're getting even more money. I mean, that's not the point. That should never be the point. I mean, EU countries should be upholding international principles and humanitarian and the UN development goals. It's irrelevant if another country comes in and takes the marketplace. Like, EU countries should not be standing by and profiteering off the suffering of the people of Myanmar, which is what seems to be happening. And um, so I think that's a poor argument. Like I'm really open to understanding the other position, the opposite side to you, but I, I can never understand it because it's just attack you, attack you. It's not actually putting forward things that I can trust in. Like there's nothing from Ranieri Sabatucci's Twitter page that I can see that he cares about anyone other than money and business and the EU. If the EU delegation in Myanmar, they really cared about workers. I sent the long list of the violation cases to EU delegation in Myanmar last year, December, before I meet with them. And then when I meet with them this year online, I wanted to discuss about these cases, especially the cases we have a temporary factory closure without pay. In the Asian man factory and the Primark and other big brands factories, they did not pay the workers, but they closed several months temporarily. The EU know about it. I raised this issue, but they did not ask the brands to pay. And even some cases I raise, it's very difficult, challenging for us. You know, it's dangerous for us. I feel they are putting our life into risk because, you know, the cases are very simple. When I say the A factory closed for three months, 2,000 workers did not have pay. That is the brand. The brand, we want you to make your factory pay. So for the brand, they have to check did you close? Did you pay? The factory said, if they pay, do you have a pay slip? If the factory cannot pay, it is clear. Worker did not get paid, right? But they did not do so. They always put us to push pressure on them, on the brand. And then they let the factory know we trade unions are pushing them to pressure the factory by the brand. So brand show that's why we have to pressure on you. You have to pay. So how factory will fee? Trade unions are the enemy. For example, especially as a person, Kaiser is making them lose a lot of men. So that like is how the brands respond to our cases. And the EU, no, but they did not help us. They keep saying EU brands are ethical, responsible. How? It's impossible. And also, like when you're just saying that there, like if there's a factory closed, it's closed for three months. OK, workers haven't been paid. You take this case to the brands. It's clear because they can figure that out. As you say, was there pay slips? Ask them, did you pay? Check. Is the factory shut? So they can do fact check 
No, that's not true. And instead of then acting and using their influence as the brand to the factory to get them to pay, they blame it on you guys. Put your lives at risk yeah. by the EU when they do that. It's crazy. Yeah, you know, I, I know love and said there are five cases that non factory closure. One case cost $200,000 to the factory. Another case cost $800,000 to that factory. One million in two factories. I don't know if I made the factory loss and can be caved. My team, when we go back to the country and when we organize on the ground, our team will be caved. Because the factory fee, they lose because of the trade union, because of the brand approach to settle the case. That's why I have to stop. I have to stop doing this. But actually, I know how all the cases, there are 148 Gamborali factory closure in 2021. I want to continue finding remedy for the workers, but I don't have all the cases. But EU, Smart Myanmar has these cases. You know Smart Myanmar? The organization who is implementing responsible garment industry, something like that. I'm aware of Smart Myanmar, yeah. Yeah. They have this case. They did not have the workers. How you and EU don't know about it? They know it. How they can pretend they are trying to protect the workers in Myanmar? So it, it seems like they're protecting money and profits. Like that's what it seems like. I mean, I could be wrong, but I, I mean, I'm looking at the evidence and I'm looking at how they're presenting themselves and they're presenting themselves in a light that does not suggest that they care for the garment workers of Myanmar because none of their actions or behaviors support that. I'm also curious as well, because I think it's an important thing with the EU. And, you know, they have been very quiet on uh, Vicky Bowman's arrest. And as somebody who is involved in businesses in Myanmar, and they're telling everyone it's it's fine to do business in Myanmar, you know, you can do it. And yet we have somebody who's a former UK ambassador to the country who has been arrested and given a prison sentence on a bogus charge which doesn't fit their criteria of it's safe to do business in Myanmar. Clearly it isn't, like, you know. And, I mean, from people I've spoken to, and I, I haven't seen this reported heavily, but, you know, Vicky Bowman was encouraging responsible businesses. She was given conferences just not long before her arrest. Could there be a link between her pressuring people to ethically behave in their businesses or insure it? I don't know, but the point is, the EU is saying it, business is fine. You know, if we leave and the brands leave, then the people of Myanmar will suffer even more. You can keep doing business here in Myanmar. It's fine. We can do due diligence. But no, they cannot do due diligence. How can do? How can they do? There is no rule of law in Myanmar. There is no trade unions. There is no freedom association. There is no right to collective bargaining. They argue with me, there can be freedom of association. There are unions formed after the coup. Name me. Which union is working for the benefit of the workers? Give me the name. I will tell you what happened in that factory. So in which way, in which way EU and the brands can do? They are saying they are working with the stakeholders in Myanmar like uh, labor NGOs and the unions in Myanmar, who are the labor NGOs they mentioned? There are 16 labor NGOs 
announced as an illegal organization, were announced as an illegal organization by the military. The EU, Myanmar, MCRB working with them. And they are saying Apoe is state possible in Myanmar. How they can say that? Like, it, it sounds to me that the EU's position, and, and I mean, I, I can stand corrected on this, but from reading what they have had to say, I'm watching them closely, their position seems to be, yes, it's tough for a garment worker in Myanmar, but it's going to be even tougher without us. So, you know, they should put up with these horrible conditions and take their $1 a day with no overtime, because without us, they don't even get that dollar a day. Like, that seems to be their argument. They're not saying it in that way. But when you read between the lines, that's... Well, so you went, the EU in the brands, when the workers do work with $1 a day, like a slave, we that's, don't want it. We don't want it. It is clear. That's why we are we are going for comprehensive economic sanction. I know the EU is undermining trade union position. We are the organization who brought the minimum wage for the workers in 2015. We are the organization, make sure workers get one day off in a week with pay. We are the people, organization, the trade unions and labor NGOs, make sure workers get social security. All these benefits we achieved from 2013 to 2020. We make it, we fight for it. We. Don't want worker to work as a slave with one dollar. That's why we have to continue fighting back. The reason why it is happening, it is the system, political system. That's why we have to solve the political system first. So what what I'm curious then, when they say to you, okay, or or they say to whoever is listening to them, okay, right, if the brands exit, okay, and they exit responsibly. And they forelong their staff. They continue to pay them a salary for a period of time. Okay. So that they're not just abandoning their workers. What happens if in that time the military stay in power and the democracy movement is unable to uproot the military? What happens then? That's the end of the garment industry. That's the end of work for people in Myanmar. I guess that's a position they're trying to put forward. They're not doing it very good and I'm probably doing it better than they are. But do you see that position? Like what if the democracy movement fails? The military stay in power and all of these businesses have left and there's no jobs, there's no more companies, there's no more businesses. There will be some businesses even EU left. So we will lose some jobs in the government sector, but there will be some jobs staying because of the China and the other brands who are not respecting the human rights, trade union rights. But what is good of the EU brands living from Myanmar? It can strengthen our democratic movement. Because of this, the business that we don't get enough support from the international governments for the democracy movement. Because of these businesses in Myanmar, the military getting a lot of money to buy homes and the gums and the, the wines to care our people. If they left, it can be we and the military. And then the trade unions, the people struggle, resistance is strong now. We can be stronger when the military is weakened. Then we need more support from the international governments continuously. Our movement will win. 
zonas. We believe that. Because now the military is not getting any acknowledgement as a government, even in the ASEAN government. They cannot control any region in Myanmar. There are a lot of conflicts between the M groups. So military cannot control many parts of the country. We are in a good position. We need, we need to win this uh, movement. But this business is the EU government weak policy supporting the military. I, I believe that EU governments, EU business that did not have an intention to support the military directly. But their action is supported indirectly to the military, which is obstacle for the democratic movement in Myanmar. And I take the point that you say that, you know, worst case scenario, you know, military stay in power longer than anybody expects. You know, Chinese companies and other countries will, will fill the, the EU gap. And I guess they would probably argue, well, think things are bad under us. You think things are bad with EU businesses. How bad do you think they're going to get under Chinese businesses? And, and I guess that would be the, the argument they would try to make that, you know, even if things are not perfect under EU businesses, and even if we have these cases happening on the ground, it's going to be a million times worse with Chinese businesses. And they're probably going to give even more money to the military than we're giving at the moment. What would you say to that? What the people don't know, the factories in Myanmar are owned by majority is China, not the EU brands. China is managing the factory in their own way. They don't respect any right, worker rights or human rights. So after the EU brand left, our saturation cannot be worse. Now we are facing the very bad saturation. So the only difference it will make is the profits will go to China rather than the EU. But the situation for the workers on the ground will not change because the brands are not helping the people anyway. The EU is not helping the workers anyway. Is that what your case would be? China cannot replace all the businesses will leave from Europe. China cannot do that. If China can do so in 2003, after EU brand left, why we don't have a lot of garment factory in Myanmar? Why we did not have it? Because China cannot replace all the businesses of the EU brands. So what is it you want from the EU ambassador and the EU delegation in Myanmar? Like what, what is it that you would like them to do at this point? What are your asks? Yeah, on principle, we want EU to value their own principle and to implement their own principle. For the Asian, they should support the democratic organization. They should guide their communities to follow the UN and ILO principle. I mean, human rights, to respect the freedom association. And in Myanmar, no. So they should not make the people forced labor. They should not make people who produce for them face a forced labor or wage exploitation, but they cannot do so. So the better way is they have to leave. EU have to guide to their businesses in Myanmar. EU should give a humanitarian aid for the people from Myanmar through democratic organization. There are many channels we can reach to the people who are in need without using the military system. 
And do you think there's still room for an opportunity for, for you and the organizations you represent to sit down with the EU delegation? Or is there no kind of respect and, you know, meaningful conversations that are, are happening on this? Because, I mean, it looks to us like, I mean, we know a letter went out in Italian Parliament looking for, you know, the EU ambassador to be fired, basically. Uh, we know he's operating a Twitter account that isn't doing him any favours. And if I worked on his PR team, I would shut it down immediately. He's not helping himself. But would you like an opportunity to sit down with them and to be heard? Do you feel like they're not listening properly to what you're saying? They're just hearing what they want to hear and kind of arguing a position that really is not a defendable one. I'm asking IDUC, International Trade Union Confederation, to arrange a meeting with the IDUC and me in the process. I want to meet people from the Brussels EU Commission. I can meet with the EU delegation in Myanmar, but I don't think they have a capacity to listen. Because when I meet them, they did not want to listen to me. My explanation, what are the obstacles to help the workers? But they did not want to listen. They just want me to work with them and they want me to support the brand to stay in Myanmar. That is what they, they told me. Even I'm, I'm explaining about the democratic movement and how you can support them. I want to discuss with them. I want that to, and I want to introduce with the EU delegation in Myanmar and the other democratic organizations especially who are helping the people in need in terms of health issue and humanitarian aid. But they did not say yes. They said they were come back, but they did not. I think as well, like just something that when you mentioned earlier, when we were talking about the FAFT and the blacklist and like the NUG not being happy either with your position, which to me almost strengthens your position in my eyes, because you have the EU and you have the NUG and you have many people who might disagree with you on certain of your points. But you always have the garment workers and the workers at the heart of everything that you do. And you're putting them above politics, you're putting them above profits, and you're putting them above government, even the NUG government. And I think I'm not seeing that on the other side. Like in the EU's position, I don't see the garment workers at the forefront of their, their decision making. And even the NUG, I don't see the garment workers at the, at the forefront of their decision making. But for you guys, that's all you're fighting for is those people on the ground. So I personally trust your position because I can see clearly who you're fighting for, whereas it's a kind of gray area with the EU and even the NUG to some extent. You know, I don't fully trust their position because, again, I, you know, they're government people, they're business people. They are always thinking of profits and they're thinking of other issues, whereas you guys are thinking of human rights, you're thinking of the workers, you're thinking of the people on the ground, which is why why we need unions and why we need workers' rights, and we need people like you to to fight for these people. But I think, I, I just don't know how it will be solved. I mean, we see more and more companies pulling out in the last few weeks. We've seen, I think it was M&S, and we've seen, I think, Primark, and some countries saying they're going to withdraw from Myanmar over the next few months to a year. Have you any confirmation that they're going to do that right? And they're going to do that in a way that supports the workers rather than just exit and not support them? Like, are they going to exit responsibly? Do you have any guarantees of that? Um, I'm working with the industry all. I'm a member of the industry all. We industry all wrote to the brands, individual brands, asking 
for the responsible exist and um, the latter sent out after EDI report. And we are asking the brands to come for the discussion how the responsible exist look like with the industry or me. So we will have a meeting next week with some brands who agreed to come to the meeting. So we will have some uh, wines as to the brand to agree as a responsible exist, which is according to the law, according to the standards. Then uh, we also put agenda, political agenda, the brand to contribute the humanitarian aid for the workers. So for that, uh, we had to discuss which way we can do to send the money to the workers. So that will be the discussion after we got the agreement with how responsible look like with the brands. The brands who were not decided to leave from Myanmar, we decided to campaign against them because they don't respect their own code of conduct in international law. Do you have any message that you would give to the EU delegation or the EU ambassador? What would your message be to him? If he's listening, if he's listening to this, what would you say to him? <laughs> I'm uh, trying to think a simple way and also think uh, people want to help us, especially EU. So I really hope an uh, EU commission will work according to their own principle. I really feel very bad to hear from the EU Commission. They want to maintain EDA because NUG want to maintain it. So that is not the basic principle. The EBA is given to a country because a government wants. So I want the EU Commission observe all the extreme violation of human rights and worker rights situation in Myanmar and uh, support the democratic organization. We have a big network. I want you to know we are working with not only trade unions and labor NGOs in Myanmar, we are also working with strike committee, women alliance, youth alliance, the teacher group, the health workers group, and the ethnic organization inside. So if the EU and the brand have the political will to support the democratic movement to the people who are in need, we can work together. We can be connected to each other. Just on the last point there, you know, you have said that you're asking for comprehensive economic sanctions. And the word economic is important there. And that is a, a stance that you change from talking to other organizations and seeing how it would affect, as you say, like healthcare and medicine and supplies like that. So it sounds to me that you're open to negotiation, you're open to listening to other points and having a, an honest discussion, but there has to be discussion. The other side have to have an argument, not just, you know, refuting the other side, you know, they have to actually come with a clear position. And so far, the EU have not done that. You know, I can see that clearly myself. They have not come with a position. They just attack, attack, attack. That isn't a position. And nobody is going to listen to that. They're just making a lot of noise 
it's a smoke screen, you know, when you get to the root of it, they have no position and they really ought to have one. And I think that given the power and the position they have, they really should be coming to the table to really talk in a meaningful way. And they should get off Twitter, stop tweeting and trolling people. It's childish. It's, it's ridiculous for the positions that they hold. I really would encourage them to, you know, grow up a little bit uh, and go to the negotiating table and go and be willing to help the people of Myanmar. And if that means they have to let go of years of progress, if they have to let go of profits and they have to let go of supply chains, you know, it's not a lot considering what the people of Myanmar have had to let go of and what they've had to sacrifice. So that would be my message to the EU delegation, commission, the ambassador, if they are listening. You know, I was told about social dialogue and since 2013, when we come back to Myanmar, especially from the EU, the governments, I always try to have a dialogue when I walk on the ground. The strike action is uh, the last tools we use to settle down the case. But uh, last year, when I see the action of the brands and EU, I really have a doubt on the social dialogue. Social dialogue, if we are in weak position, no one will do social dialogue. So I, I felt that the businesses, the people who has the power use the dialogue to use the other groups as what they want to do. But now I'm free again, okay, I can meet some good people who really can do the social dialogue. Dialogue means you have to listen and uh, have to think about other problems and uh, find solutions. You cannot say, oh, that is not uh, my job, my position, and uh, I want you to do this. No, that doesn't work, you know. So now I feel I, in the trade unions, industrial IDUC is trying to engage more dialogue with the governments in EU, I hope they can listen to us and uh, find solution. Yeah, so do I, because like what you're asking for, and it's funny when you actually say it out loud, you're asking for the EU to actually implement its own policies. (laughs) You're asking for them to do what they say they're going to do. You're not asking them to do what you say they should do. You're asking them to stand by their own policies like it's ridiculous that you have to ask them to do what they said they were going to do and to uphold the principles they say they stand by that's all you're asking them <laughs> yes yeah I did not ask the new things yeah <laughs> like when I think about that I'm just like it's ridiculous it's ridiculous yeah but I keep doing this even though they oppose me and keep doing this because Kaiser is not doing this thing alone I'm a representative I am a representative Representing these workers in the people who are risking their life every day. So, so my feeling is doesn't matter. I have to fulfill my responsibility. I have to do what I have to do and uh, give a mandate by the people inside. So that's why I keep doing it. And it's amazing work you're doing. And and as you say, there is more than just you. But often when you are the face of it, you have to take the most criticism, the most attacks. But as you say, you know, you're fighting for a bigger cause for a lot of people. And 
I mean, it takes great courage and strength to to do what you're doing. And uh, I know so many people are really grateful for the work that you do. And you have to make tough decisions and they're not popular always. But you're not thinking of yourself. You're not thinking of how you're going to benefit. You're thinking of the future of your country. You're thinking of the people who have given their lives for this cause. And, you know, I, I think you're doing amazing work. And I, I, it disappoints me that, you know, you're not being met with the respect and dignity that you deserve from people in positions of power within the EU. And that's really disappointing for me as an EU citizen. And I would like to see them do better. You know, do you have any last message for the people in Myanmar who are who are still there, still hanging in every day and just trying to trying to fight for their future? Yeah, I want to say uh, workers, they are suffering a lot. I know some Asian where make more suffer for them, but it is for a short time. In the long time, we believe that we can bring back the democracy in Myanmar. That means we can bring back the better life for the workers and people in Myanmar. So I want to encourage the people and organization continue fighting for democracy in Myanmar. Please keep doing it. We are together fighting it. We will remove the mandatory shortly. We will win shortly. Thank you for listening to RNR Podcast. You can follow us on all major social media platforms. It's at RNR Podcast, spelled A H N A H. Please like, follow, and subscribe. Myanmar remains in our hearts and thoughts. We have not forgotten you. Let's keep the conversation going.